Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy to have my guest, Robert Foster, here today. He's one of the most positive people I know. (laughs) I have uh, been with him a couple of times online, including a panel just a few weeks ago, that he just has a way of uh, spreading positivity and joy, even though that's not his job or career, so to speak. It just uh, kind of (laughs) everything that he does, it oozes out of him. So I'm just delighted to have him here today as an example for how happy you can be whether you're grieving or not. So hi, Robert. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about you and why you wanted to be on the podcast? Well, everyone goes through grief at some point. And so, you know, I like the title of your book, you know, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I've been through my fair share of grief over the years, ever since I think, I believe the first time I experienced death, I know grief comes in different forms, but the first time I experienced death, I think I was eight years old, I want to say, and I'm still kind of traumatized from, from what I saw. But I just know that people in, in those darkest of times, people just need to know that you can still see the light. So that's why I wanted to be a part of it. And, but for me personally, I'm the youngest of seven. So that's where, uh, I get my competitive spirit and, you know, my drive to to want to succeed because we were all athletes, including including my parents. So there's nine people in the house and we're all competitive. We're all athletes. So there was just always some type of competitive spirit going on in the house. And there really wasn't wasn't a lot of negativity. Like everything was just always everyone trying to trying to better one another, you know, starting with my parents, you know, trickled all the way down to me. And that just kind of shaped who I became now. That's so awesome. Uh, so many times we're kind of surrounded by negativity in so many different ways, and it's hard to to keep happy or keep uh, a positive attitude when those around you aren't. So you you were really fortunate to be able to grow up in that environment. Thank you. Yeah. So the thing the thing with the negativity is that it doesn't require any discipline. Like it, it's very easy to just be mad at the world, but mm-hmm. to actually take a step back look at what happened, process what happened, and just think about all of the teachable moments. Like think about what was left behind versus what you lost. You know, and it it seems like it's such a simple thing to say. Well, I mean, it's very hard to do for a lot of people. And for someone like, like me, going back to my parents, like with my father, I never saw this dude quit at anything. It was always there's got to be a way. All right. There's got to be another way. All right. That didn't work. There's got to be another way. He was just constantly trying to find the good and no matter how bad the situation was. And so it was just very easy to transfer that into everyday life, whether you apply for a job that you really want and you don't get it, you know, you got to pick up the pieces and you got to move forward or you get the courage to ask out that girl or that guy and they reject you and you got to pick up the pieces and move forward. So there's like almost every every facet of life, you're going to deal with some form of letdown and just taking those lessons that our parents instilled in us to like, to like you know, you only you only lose if you stayed out. And 
when you're dealing with, with grief, you know, I mentioned my dad a couple of times, you know, he passed away in 2019 and that, that, that was a lot, that was a lot to deal with, but that was also the moment where it's like, all right, everything that this man taught you, this is the test right here. You know, it's like, can you put it into practice now? You know, now that we're losing him, like he was the rock of our family. He was definitely the patriarch of even the extended foster family. Like if we had a family reunion, everybody knew my dad was in charge. You know, so like he was he was that he was that man. And so losing him, you know, it just took a took a second. You know, obviously it hurt, you know, the emotions, what were all there. But then you step back for a second and you just think about all the positives. Like I had him for 45 years. You know, I was 45 when he passed. And there are people that never even met their dad. So it's one of those things where you just step in, step into gratitude. And it just made that moment, I don't want to say better, but kind of, <laughs> you know, it was like, but kind of, because he left so much behind that we're able to have gratitude for. And so, like, I think, like, when I share that story, that's always the biggest takeaway I want people to get, no matter how bad the tragedy there are things left behind that that person left behind that can still put a smile on your face. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that's such a such a wonderful way to look at it. Share with us something that he left behind that is special to you now. Well, he was an engineer, so he was constantly building stuff, constantly. And when I opened up my gym, he built a lot of things within the gym. So just one of those things, you walk in, and you see this monstrous cubbies, you know, you, you know, like you go into some gyms, you, you have the little cubbies and they're usually like pressed sawdust and very generic. Oh no, not my dad. Everything he made was built to last. And it's like, you just look at these things and it weighs like 500 pounds, but like you can see with every bit of it that he put love into it. Like everything that he did, he made sure it was safe. He made sure it was going to last and that it was going to be the best possible product that he could put forward. Like my sister and her husband, they go to church and he built he built a cross for their church. And again, this cross is gonna be around for like hundreds of years after we're all gone. <laughs> like this thing is so built solid and built to last. And he, and he didn't have the best relationship with religion because he lost his mom at a very young age, like long before I was born. I think, I wanna say his mom was 39. Mm -hmm. And he was 17. She passed away. She, she had a massive heart attack at 39. And she was ve very religious. So, you know, dad had a strained relationship with religion for a minute there just because, you know, like mom was so into religion and then, you know, God took her away from us. But but he put all of that aside and he still put in that work for the church. Like he built several things for that church and just the one liners the funny moments, you know, the teachable moments, the moments where I wanted to shake them. Like there's just so many different moments and emotions that he left behind that it's it's kind of, it's kind of tough to be sad. And then you do things like this and you just keep them nearby. You know, it's like it's like he may not be here in body, but he's still here. That's so beautiful. Having having special ways to remember someone, like every time you walk in your gym and you see the cubbies, it's like yes. that's dad, and you can smile. <laughs> and I I love that. I I have that. Uh, I keep pictures around of, of both my husbands, and I people say, "Doesn't that make you sad?" And I say, "Absolutely not," because it's a, a trigger for me to smile, and I like that because I I 
choose to remember what was good, what was happy, what things we shared that um, made me who I am today. There's there's a lot to be grateful for. And, and when you can focus on that gratitude, it can make all the difference in the world in your life. See, and that's the stuff that inspires other people. Because as I said earlier, it takes no discipline to be mad at the world. So when you're when you're saying, you know what, this still makes me smile, people are like, how do you do that? It's like that's that's something that not everyone can do. And that's why, you know, you write you writing your book, you having your podcast, me having my podcast, and teaching people how, how to navigate the stressors of life. That's what makes it so valuable because people get pulled into that sea of negativity. And then people, I mean, I hate you using the word validate, but you know, people always try try to validate the feelings, like, oh, it's okay to feel that way. You know, you you're entitled to feel what you feel, which is true. But there comes a point where you got to start taking steps forward. And then that's where things like like we do come, come into play. Because like, all right, you grieved, you felt what you felt. You know, there's no right or wrong amount of time, but eventually the time's going to come where you have to move forward. Yeah, and, and it's moving forward. I think I think the place that people um, get into trouble with that is they they think they're going to get over grief. Yeah. And that that doesn't happen. You know, when when you grieve somebody, that's a that's a lifetime deal. And it but it's not all sorrow. You know, yeah, you're you're sorry, sorry or sad that they're not with you at this moment. But when you focus on all the good and the beauty and the love and the experiences and everything that happened on the way, that keeps them close in your heart in a real positive way so that you you can smile, you can be happy, and it's okay. And nobody's going to, well, if they somebody may criticize you for it because they don't get it, but <laughs> there's no reason for anybody to criticize you for it. And even if they do, who cares? Yeah. It's like I keep telling people, you know, your, your feelings are yours and yours alone. It's like your feelings don't have to appeal to anyone else. So like even when... When my dad was in a coma, so he had stage four heart failure and, you know, we're at the hospital, like some of my siblings were up, some of his grandchildren were up, so some of his nieces were up and, you know, we're all in the cafeteria. We're all talking like when he wakes up, when he wakes up, when he wakes up. And I was the only one that was like, guys, we have to talk about the other side here. It's like, what if he doesn't? And especially some of my siblings, they weren't ready to have that conversation. I was like, but this is a harsh reality. So the man is almost 80 years old. He's got stage four heart failure, <laughs> like failure. So we have to start thinking, what if he doesn't wake up? Then it's just like, mom, do you have life insurance? Like, And we just started going right down the list. Like he always said he didn't want a funeral. So what are we going to do? But he's also a veteran. So do we give him the veteran salute? Like, is that something he would want? And we just started having the the piece together, you know, his his end of his end of life care, you know, if if that's what it came to. And, you know, again, a couple of my siblings, you know, like they didn't hurt themselves or anything, but just mentally they went down into a dark path because of this key word. I always tell people when you're dealing with grief, you know, the obviously the first step is to feel what you feel. Like you have to take the time to process everything that just happened to you. But it's acceptance. I think so many people struggle with grief because they just don't want to believe it. You know, like my brother was just like, I can't believe he's gone. Like, I can't. I'm like, Rich, he's gone. Like, he's gone. Like, there's, there's no way around this. Like, we saw him on the table. We watched him take his last breath. 
Like the man is gone. But I was like, he's gone in body. I was like, you know, he's, I think, seven years older than me. So, so I was like, you've had 52 years of this man's wisdom, of his care, of his love, of his appreciation, uh, again, of his one-liners, of his tough love. Like you, you've had 52, you had half a century with this man. I was like, that's not, that's nothing to be sad about. It's like, yes, you know, it would, would be great to hear his voice. Would, would be great to hug him, would get one last, you know, one last words of wisdom. Oh, but, but that's selfish talk. You know, like it really is. I mean, people hate it when I say that, but it is like it's selfish talk. It's like he gave everything he could give right to the very end, you know, because they they unsedated him from his from his coma. So he was at least responsive because uh, we had to end care. And, you know, so we all got to take turns. He had all kinds of tubes in him. So like he couldn't talk, but he could shake his head. Yes, he could shake his head. No. So like we were able to all talk to him, you know, say our, our final words. My mom sang their their old school sweetheart song to him. Aww. And it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful ending. So a couple months later, and then COVID happens, and then people are dying alone. There's no funerals. There's no nothing. So that's another layer of gratitude that he, like, he, I'm telling you, he had a beautiful ending. You know, it's like, I never thought I would like covet someone's death before, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, if you could choose a way to go, that's the way I would want to go. He had three generations around him when he took his last breath. That is so beautiful. And and you brought up so, so many important things in what you were just saying. It, it reminded me of my mom and my aunt, I was the conservator for my aunt before she died. Both my mom and my aunt had the same kind of brain tumor and uh, had to have care toward the end of their lives. And both of them had been, well, my aunt especially was a hoarder. She she wasn't that way until her brain started kind of not working. And But my mom is a, a product of the the depression saved everything. So <laughs> we had all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And I ended up having to go through all of that stuff for both of those women. And it took forever. And it was it was hard. It was, uh, I was making decisions about stuff that I thought, you know, they, they saved this for a reason, but I have no idea why. Mm. And those experiences made it for me that I decided I'm not going to put anybody through that with my things that I leave behind, that it's important to me to now enjoy the things that I enjoy and release the things that I don't need you know? yes. and so not, not have those things and to plan. Like you said, with, with your mom, you were saying, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do about that? If you do that slowly ahead of time, then you can focus on just the experience of the love at the end and, and the positive things that, that come when they come instead of going, Oh, I forgot to do this, or I have to do that. Or how can I possibly get by without this? Or there's, there's so many things that come up. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, and then, so like right when dad passed, like my brother, one of my brothers lives in Florida. So he came up, he stayed up here about a month. My cousin who since I think she passed, I want to say like a year later, but like my cousin came up and so like they were staying with with my mom. Like I was coming down, you know, multiple times per, per week. And so once it came time for, for for Gina to go back to New York and Ralph to go back to Florida, you know, and I was heading back back to my house. And remember, I told mom, I was like, 
you need to take this weekend, sit down on the couch and just process. Because ever since dad passed, it was just go, 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 go. You know, we were just cleaning up because, you know, as an engineer, dude didn't throw away anything. Because no matter what it was, he could find a way to utilize it into one of the projects he was working on. And so there was so much stuff to clean up. And so we were down here every day, you know, cleaning out his garage, having garage sales and mom's going through papers and trying to close out accounts and everything. But it was probably like a solid maybe six weeks of just work, 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 work. And so just that last time I told her, I said, sit down on the couch. Don't turn on the TV. Nothing. Just sit with your thoughts and just let it out. So just let it say, if you haven't had the time to do that, because we've been go, go, go ever since we ended care. So just take the time to do that. And so like, I didn't call her or anything for the next few days. And, you know, she said that she, she had her moment. And it, it took her it took her a while to, to really start wanting to get out and about. And then there's there's a senior center not far from here. I want to say it's like maybe 15 minutes up the road. But she's been cooking there on Wednesdays and Sundays. Like they, they have a kitchen there that they, they let her cook out of because she loves to cook. And like she's been going to bingo a couple of t- times a week. So she's starting to get out and about now and just just enjoying herself. But like it, but it was important for her to take that period to grieve. No, because like one thing I want, I want the audience to understand that grieving is not weakness, you know, and to, to what you said earlier, you don't get over it. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm not over my dad not being here. It's like, I've accepted it, but I'm not over it. And those are two different things. Like, I want people to understand, you know, moving on or moving forward doesn't mean forgetting, you know, like, like you're never good. Like, I'm never going to unsee my dad taking his last breath. Never going to unsee it. It's the worst thing ever, you know, but at the same token, that's not the worst thing he left behind. You know, I, I don't want to say the worst thing that I said, that's probably the worst thing he left behind was just that moment. Mm-hmm. But and there's so many other things that he left behind that I can focus on. You know, and so like, I don't want to just focus on that particular moment. And like, my son is a mechanic. And as I said, as I said, my dad's an engineer, so he can do anything. But like dad used to always try to talk mechanic stuff to me. I build bodies. That's what I do. I motivate people. I entertain people. Like I'm not a mechanic. So like I never picked up on it. So then my son goes into automotive. I'm like, what the hell? I'm cursed. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like first it was my dad. Now it's my son. He's like, oh, oh, dad, I did. And he's talking all these words. I'm like, this is over my head. And I was like, this is like, if I talk to you about how the body works, see how you shut down. Like that's not your wheelhouse. So my dad and my son got to bond over that. So when my dad passed, like my son took it very, very hard. Like once, like, so once he, he, he had passed and we ended care, they cleaned them up, you know, they took all the tubes out and everything. And they, they let us come back in to see him without all, all the tubes and stuff. And like, I had to pretty much drag my son out, out of the room when the time came. And I just told him, I was like, CJ, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, so this is his body. I'm like, but he's not here anymore. And I just like pointed to his chest. I'm like, he's there now. Like all those moments that you guys shared, they don't go away just because he's not here here in body. All those moments are still here. Like before he and my mom went to go to, to the hospital the day before his surgery, the night before he and my son fixed my mom's car. Now this wow. dude, this dude is clinging to life. <laughs> right. He's clinging to life. And he was out there 
and my son actually had to leave because he had school in the morning. My, and I believe my mom said my dad stayed out there till one o'clock in the morning, making sure that that car was set. It, it, it's almost like he knew he was going to go. He's like, and I have to do this before I leave her. Like, wow. And, and, and even now, it still, it still choke, chokes me out. Because, like, that's just, that's the man he was. Like, and that's the stuff that I'm talking about when they say that that they leave things behind. It's moments like that. You know, it just takes the sadness away when it's like, that dude was amazing. Like, and I had that for 45 years. You know, and that's why I'm able to say it with a smile on my face versus tears streaming down my face. That's so beautiful. It, and it's it's interesting when when people can really fully understand that and often that that doesn't happen. I know um, when Ron, my last husband who died, when he transitioned uh, the week before was miraculous with all the people that were around and it was it was like a party all week long. He knew he was going and he made the very most of it and and everybody around made the most of it with him. And when he actually took his last breath. I left the room. I I went into my room. I was crying, but I, I went into my room because I didn't need to be there where everybody else couldn't understand how I could leave. And I thought, well, he's not there. <laughs> you know, if, if you need to stay there uh, with his body, you're welcome to it. But I, I've said my goodbyes when I did, and I will love him forever. But I that wasn't something I needed. So I, and I, it's different for everybody and it's important for people to not judge themselves for, for whatever decisions they make. I, I know people questioned me and I thought, well, why are you questioning me? It's none of your business. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and like I said, you know, my first experience with, with death was when I was eight, it was my aunt. And I remember going to the hospital and just seeing her with the bandages and, you know, the oxygen. I mean, I was eight. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. It's like, why is all this stuff in my auntie? And like, that's all I really remember of her. And so now we, this, I think that was 1982 or 84. Like, I, I think it was 82. That's right. Because uh, I was eight. And so then we fast forward to 1993, where my grandfather, he also died of a heart attack. Like, he had multiple heart attacks. And so I think I think he had his like his third one within a seven day span. Mm. And he he decided he didn't want to die in the hospital. You know, so he checked himself out and a bunch of the family went down to see him. And I just had that vision of my aunt burned into my brain. And I was like, I don't want to I don't want to remember Gramps like that. It's like I don't want that to be my last vision. And some people were, you know, judging me for it and stuff, but like I was 21. You know, it's, it's like this. I, I haven't had a lot of experience with it. I just remember that first time and it was awful. It's like, and I don't want to remember my grandfather like that. And so people were like, you're not going to see. No, I didn't go. It's like I got him a card. I wrote what, what I wanted him to see, you know, when he was able to read it. You know, like he called me. He thanked he thanked me and said that, that he understood. But it's like that was my decision that I had to make for me. And that's what people have to understand. It's like grief isn't about everyone else. Like it's about you, you know, and like a quick, quick story. My niece. So in 2021, we lost four people in like a three month span. I wow. want to say. And one of them was my niece's son. He was two. Oh. He was two years old. He died of he had he had advanced stage leukemia. 
Like mm-hmm. he went, he went to the hospital on a Thursday because he wasn't feeling well. He died on Tuesday. Oh. Four days. Four days. But when I tell you, my niece gave the most amazing eulogy that I think I've ever heard. And all of us were like, and now like I have five of my own kids. Like I couldn't even imagine burying one of my 20-year-olds, let alone a two-year-old, you know, but when we got like, I couldn't even look in the casket. I was like, I, I can't. I was like, I can't. I, I don't want to see a two-year-old. They're like, he's a baby. I don't want to see that. And all of us were like, oh, my God, how is Shantae going to be? How is Shantae? When I tell you, it was unreal. Like, there wasn't a dry eye in that place. Even the most manly of men were bawling like little babies in there. Because she just got up there with so much strength and just delivered the most. Well, at first, she had... She had written a poem to her son. So she read the poem first. So that jump started the waterworks and then the eulogy. And she was just so gracious. Now, I talked about having gratitude for 45 years with my dad. She she had her son for two, but she was just still talking about all, all the moments. And she was talking about the moments where, where she wanted to shake him. You know, the moments that he made her laugh, the moments that he broke her heart or melted her heart. And like, she just went through all these different stories. I was like, wow, you know, just unbelievable. Cause all of us were like, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't do it. Like if my two year old was five feet away from me, you know, dead in a casket. Like, I don't think I could have done that, you know, but as you said, everyone is different. You know, it's like the way she processed it, processed it. She was ready for that moment. And she got up there and she delivered. She was like, you know, she's like, my son wants to see his mother up here strong. She's mm-hmm. like, I prayed about it. You know, God gave me the strength to be to be strong. And she's like, and here I am showing up for everyone, being strong for my son. And it was like, <laughs> but it was an amazing moment. Yeah, you're getting to me just telling me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you, you bring up one thing that I think is is so important is a judgment that we just it, there's no room for judgment in grief for anybody not to judge anybody else or to judge yourself for any of the decisions that you make because that's that doesn't help anybody what whatever someone experiences or what they do is their journey and all we can do is love them and support them on the way Exactly. Exactly. So like what I do when when I'm working with people, because as you know, I'm a storyteller and I tell people, the more you talk about what happened, the better it's going to be for you to accept it. Because the the more you keep it inside, the more it's going to snowball. And it's like, it's like anything else. You know, in, in the fitness world, like I would say, you take a dumbbell and you hold it out to the side. That's what it's like carrying on stress, carrying on grief trauma, anxiety, whatever it is. Because the longer you hold that weight, the more your shoulder's going to burn. And then the longer you hold, it's going to burn even more until eventually you're going to drop it. And you're not going to drop it controlled. It's going to be an erratic drop. And that's what happens with stress. And it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And then next thing you know, your significant other leaves a spoon in the sink and you blow your lid because the dishwasher is dirty. And and at the end of the day, it had nothing to do with the dishwasher. It's just because you let everything fester and fester and fester. But now there's different ways to tell the story. Most people, they tell what happened. Now, what happened is important because in order to accept what happened, you got to talk about what happened. 
But where you start to heal, it's the how to. Is the how did you move on? I said, okay, Rob, you watched your father take his last breath. You had to practically drag your son out of the room. Then what? That's where the inspiration begins. It's the then what? How did you move forward? Where I put my arm around him and my oldest daughter. And as we're walking to the car, we had a conversation about what they just saw. And, you know, if they had any questions, just made myself available to them. You know, going to my siblings. And I was like, this isn't the time for regret. Don't say you should have came up to see him more. You should have done this. You sh like, it's not about that. You were here. You were here now. You got to say goodbye. You got to tell him you love him. It's okay. There's there's nothing to regret. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of people that don't get that chance. There was a lot of people, like one of my aunts, she had, I believe she had colon cancer, but like her, her boyfriend thought she was sleeping in. So he was mm -hmm. letting her, he was letting her sleep. And then finally, like, uh, let me go check on her. And she was gone. Wow. You know? So like, they didn't get the opportunity to say goodbye, you know, or to sing, to sing the last song or things of that nature. So it's one, it's one of those things where it's like, you just have to count your blessings. And even in that situation, you can say, at least she didn't suffer. You know, she went in her sleep. She went peacefully. It could have been much worse. She could have been in and out of the hospital. She could have been on these medications. She could have, you know, had brain damage and not known who she was. Like there's so many worse scenarios that could have happened, you know? And I know sometimes people hate that. It's like, oh, it could have been worse. But but sometimes it really could have been, <laughs> you know? Like it really could have been. It's like, did, did you want them to suffer more? You know, like that that's the way I look at it when, when, when people are hurting. It's like, did you want them to suffer more? It's like, no, like she went peacefully in her sleep. Like that's something where you can step back and have gratitude for because she didn't suffer. Like you, you didn't have to watch her slowly deteriorate over a five year span. Like that's that's brutal to deal with, too, and something to be thankful for. You know, so like you were saying about judgment, you know. People like we just have to stop living for others. It's like we, we want to serve others, but we don't want to live for others. Those are two different things. Like everything I do, like speaking on this podcast, like I'm sharing my stories for the purpose of serving others. But someone who may be stuck in that grief hamster wheel, and if they come out of this, like, you know what? I haven't accepted it. Or like maybe I didn't focus on what was left behind. I'm just focused on what I'm missing. I could have been having in the future that I'm not focused on what they left behind. You know, so like that's not I'm not telling my story just to hear myself talk. It's like I just want people to understand that there's ways where you can get out of that. And there are days where I'll hear a Smokey Robinson song. Dad loves Smokey Robinson. And or I'll hear like the drifters or some of the old Motown peeps. Because he was constantly playing it when I was a teen. And, you know, it'll make me tear up. It was, sometimes the, the tears will stream. Or, like, I'll, I went fishing with my twins the other day. It's like, they didn't see it. But, you know, dad liked to fish. My grandfather loved to fish. And to be out there with my kids, you know, it got to me for a second. But, again, it was from appreciation. Because it just reminded me of those moments that I had with my dad and my grandfather. And as you see, I'm smiling as I say it, because you know, I'm not saying it from a place of sadness. It's like, it's just amazing that I was able to have those memories. So like if the audience can take one big thing away is when you're in those moments where you miss that person, step into a moment where they made you smile, where they touched your soul, 
or just somewhere where you needed them and they were there and like lean into that moment. And I promise you, you can feel their presence. Wow. That is so beautiful, Robert. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know I, I put a, a lot of focus with uh, people who are dealing with loss on writing about it and, and telling their story. And you've given such beautiful examples of how and, and what's important to include in a story when you tell it. And it, it makes all the difference in the world when you do that. If you, if you just leave it jammed up inside and, and not get that story out, even if you just write it in a journal and nobody but you is ever going to see it, it's the process of releasing the story so that you can um, make space for the rest of your life. Yeah, see, and that's something that I do with, with my daughter too. She She's at work, so I, I can talk freely about it. <laughs> <laughs> but like her her mom, so my oldest son and my oldest daughter, their mom pretty much abandoned them when they were little. My son was six and she was three. Like we didn't even know she was leaving. She just left. And mm. like I brought them to where she worked to, so we could visit. And that's how we found out she was gone. And so now th this was in 2006, so it's 2023. So we're talking 17 years now. She's maybe seen them five times, mm. five times. And so my oldest son, he's just like done. Like he's done. He's 24 now. He wants no nothing to do with her. He doesn't want to reconcile. And I know I, I try to get him to see the forgiveness angle, but like it's something that he has to see on his own. It's like all I can do is plant the seeds and then, Hopefully one one day he'll he'll wanna make make that amends. But with my daughter, it's like she was so young that she doesn't remember that moment. Whereas my son remembers, like at six, almost seven, like he remembers us being there and us finding out that she left. So like with Olivia, it wasn't really until she hit the teens, things like she's I have to have the the talk with her about her period. You know, it's like um. All right, so let's do this, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, or going to buy her pads and taking her to taking her to the doctor and having the birds and the bees talk. And, you know, because I'm a dad, you know, it's like people say they can be both. I don't know how you be both. I'm a dad. I'm wired as a dad. I was raised to be a man. I'm a dad. <laughs> you know, so like everything that I did with her was through my dad lens. That's just that's how that's who I am. And, and so I really think it didn't really hit her, hit her until she was 16. She was going to the winter ball. And I actually had two women from my gym come to the house to do her hair and her makeup. And I, I really think it was at that moment, because that's like a mother-daughter moment. And I think that's where the questions really started to surface with her, where it's like, you know, why did she leave me? Like, why didn't she want me? Like, why wasn't I enough? And just... All of those. So so it's like, like I said, like grief doesn't always have to mean death, you mm -hmm. know, so it's like she's been dealing with it. I mean, like she, she's working with a therapist now and stuff. And but it, it for the longest time, like she was literally grieving the loss of her mother, you know, and, and it's even worse because her mother's alive. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like imagine having someone who is alive and well and wants nothing to do with you. It's like that's a form of grief as well. And something that has to be has to be managed, has to be managed every single day. And there are days that she has really good days. And there, there are other days where she she just she just holds herself up in a room and she just doesn't want to talk to anyone. You know, so it's like it takes so many, so many different forms. Wow, that's true. And I, I think a lot of people don't think of loss being something that you grieve about, but absolutely. 
And the, the bigger the loss, the the more the grief. And you need to deal with that just like you would if someone actually dies. Yeah, it, it could be even leaving a long-term job. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, if you work at a job for 10, 15, 20 plus years, you know, like those, those people become your family. And then you leave that job and it's it's hard. Like I've had people that I've trained at the gym for five plus years and it's time for them to move on. And it's a big cry fest, you know, and I see them for 45 minutes a day, a couple of times a week, (laughs) but just in that time, you just form this tight, tight bond. And, you know, so, so like people, people have to understand that yes, there's different types of grief, but like I always say on my show, I always say pain is pain. Like if you're feeling pain, don't brush the pain aside. You know, so like whether I lost my dad at 79 or my niece lost her her son at two or, you know, my my cousin, well, my uh, I guess he's my uncle-in-law, you know, lost my aunt. They were I think they were together 30 something years, I want to say, mm. you know, it said if you lose that long career, like it takes so many different forms and there's not any one that's worse, that's worse than the other. If you're feeling pain you have to address your pain. You know, and don't let somebody else tell you how you should or shouldn't feel. Like that's for you to decide. Like if, if you want to go to someone, go to someone that's going to comfort you or share their own story of pain. And like I said earlier, it's not the pain, it's how they got through it. That's so, right. right. So you felt this. How were you able to forgive? You know, you know, your ex cheated on you and left you and left you with all this debt and all this other stuff. I mean, that's a form of grief as well. But it's like, how how were you able to forgive him? You know, or you were in a domestic violence situation. That's that's a form of grief as well. And you have to be able to forgive that person. You have to be able to forgive yourself. You know, and there's so many so many d- different layers. But as I said, there's no right or wrong way. But one thing that is universal, there's a story to tell. You know, it's universal. No no matter what you went through, there's power in that story because whatever happened didn't break you. So for somebody else that's going through drama, you can tell your story and how you got through it. And then you inspire them. Listen. This is how you can get through it. That's so beautiful, Robert. Thank you so much for sharing that. The importance of telling your story uh, can't be undervalued. It's so important and it makes all the difference in the world when you recognize it and you actually do it. So, and you're a wonderful storyteller. I'm, I'm so grateful you were able to be here with me today. Thank you. I'm sure that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And I'm I'm hoping that when they turn the podcast off, that they're going to get out their journal and write their story yes, <laughs> or at least absolutely. get started on it because yes. it's so important. Yeah. And people just have to realize, too, it doesn't have to be anything earth shattering. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's one of the biggest myths I hear. My story is not strong enough. My story is not relatable. Nobody wants to hear my story. I'm telling you, there's somebody out there right now that needs to hear your story like only you can tell it you know so don't so don't sell yourself short like i've helped people tell stories i mean yes there's there's this death you know there's the big ones but there was a woman right just to just to, to let it come full circle there was a woman she grew up in an urban environment you know her father 
got a different a different job, you know, a better paying job, moved the family out to the suburbs, and she fell in love with nature. And so she wanted to go back to these urban schools and create like an outdoor learning space. Because in these urban schools, there's no woods. You know, there's no woods, there's no hills, there's no waterfalls, like there's none of that stuff. And so the other two people I had in a group with her, one was a stroke survivor and the other one witnessed her high school sweetheart commit suicide. Mm. So, so she thought her story couldn't compete with the other two. And so I, I slowed her down right there. I said, first of all, this is not a competition. <laughs> okay. Like this is not a storytelling battle. <laughs> right. So I said, so now let me quarterback this. I said, so you grew up in this urban environment, very humble beginnings. You know, your father was working, but he wasn't making a, lo- a lot of money. So you, you guys didn't really have a lot of things compared to some of the other kids. I'm like, right. She's like, yeah. So then your father gets a career break, gets a better paying job. You guys buy a house in the suburbs. You got hiking trails and everything else. You fall in love with nature and it made you feel a certain way a certain way that you did not feel when you were living in that urban environment. And she's like, correct. I said, and now you want to take this feeling and you want to replicate it for these kids who may be disadvantaged in this urban environment. Right. I said, that is friggin' amazing. Like that is absolutely amazing. Like you don't have to have a near death experience to turn your story into an amazing piece of art. You know, the fact that she was able to experience something and she wants to create something so that other kids can feel what she felt. It's like when you think about it that way, that is a very, very powerful story. So don't ever think that your story is not big enough. And if you're sitting on something and you're not sure, reach out to me because I can find any bit of power in your story and we can turn it into something that's truly amazing and inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, it's so wonderful. <laughs> You're just such a great person. And I'm I'm so grateful that, that you were here because I, I know people are going to take away a lot from this podcast today. Awesome. Thank you. So, thank you for being my guest. Thank you for being my friend. I'm I'm glad you're in my life because you uh bring me smiles. And I appreciate that. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So, and to our listeners today, thank you for listening and get out there and write your story that start today. And I'll see you again next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode 